0: Well, good morning, my church. It's good to see you guys this morning on this hot Georgia morning. Um, the air condition only works in a small part of our home, so we all snuggled together there under the fan waiting for Daddy to get back because that's, that's what he does. Daddy fix those things. Um, I am so honored if you are a guest. My name is Christy, and I am Jeff's wife. And a few times a year, he invites me to share in a teaching series, um, sometimes to talk to our ladies a little bit, sometimes just to give you a different perspective because our brains are wired so differently. Um, In this series, God of the Underdogs, you've actually gotten four different perspectives, so you've gotten the most well-rounded approach ever. Ed did a fantastic job talking about God being with us last week um, and Mike before that. So we are going to close out this series God of the underdogs, um, as you saw, Jeff and Stephen are in South Florida at a church called Church by the Glades, and just FYI, if you can multitask, they are streaming live right now, so you can pull out your phone, you can watch Jeff at the same time. Um, he is so funny. Last night, he had to drive a car on their stage. That was their intro. They're in this like summer road trip series. He goes, baby, I almost threw up in the car. I was so nervous. (laughs) So y'all pray for him today. He is speaking. He spoke last night, five times today. Um, eight years ago this summer, we were underdogs. We still are. But eight years ago, we really had that we, we had this dream of starting my church and we went to like the most professional church planting people to ask for their advice and they said go out and raise a quarter of a million dollars and when you've done that come back and talk to us. So we did what they said. We liquidated everything we had. That didn't get us very far. That got us about 20% of the way there. We didn't get very far. So we started doing old-fashioned fundraising. This was before the days of GoFundMe. Okay, today, you can, with a few clicks on your phone, you can raise money for your cat to have surgery. But before GoFundMe existed, we were like still the old-fashioned face-to-face, door-to-door. If you've ever had to do that. It, you get a lot of doors slammed in your face. You get a lot of phone calls, people won't return. Um, it's, Jeff thought, what was funny was Jeff thought it was the greatest adventure ever. He loved every minute of, he loved the thrill of victory, he loved the agony of defeat. Not me so much. I thought it was particularly humiliating. You know, we are like adults, we've provided for ourselves, and now we're going to go out and say, hey, would you fund this church that doesn't even exist yet? Um, sounds fun. So one of the churches that we visited was this church in South Florida Church by the Glades. And for me, it was particularly humiliating because I had um, been childhood friends with the pastor's wife. And then in college, she was kind of like my little sister in college. And so it just felt like I should be funding her like she should not be funding my dream. And so I remember asking Jeff, baby, can we just go learn from them? Like, do you have to really mention that we need money for this new, can we just learn? And so we met with them and met her husband, who is the most gracious man ever. And before we even said a word, he said, Lisa tells me you're starting a church. Where, where are y'all going to meet? We said, well, we have this building, but it, kind of feels irresponsible because we don't have any people and the rent attached is a little bigger than what we would like. He goes, what's your rent going to be? We said um, $4,000 a month. And he goes, all right, here's your first check. So Church by the Glades, the church they are at actually paid for our first month's rent. And that kind of changed our perspective. We just, at that point, we're like, you know what? We're just going to trust God. Forget what the professional people say. We're just going to do what God says. We can have church for a month and we'll, go, we'll see from there. We got our first month covered, and God has been faithful. I, Jimmy and his beautiful wife, I, I love the song that you just sang, that in the times where we feel like we don't have enough, we always have enough, and so that's kind of how this church was founded, and Jeff and Stephen are down there honoring them. They're telling our story is what they're doing down there, so um, I'm excited to be with you. I'm going to share with you Um, my oldest daughter's favorite bible story Um, I didn't know whether to be excited or concerned there is blood and screaming and killing and a reference to pooping in this story so I wasn't sure whether to be proud of her or be worried about her but this is one of my favorite stories it is found in first kings chapter 18 and 19 and we don't have time to read every word don't worry how many of you read books any of you read books any of you read books more than once Okay, I don't understand that. But I, my middle daughter, she will read the same book over like 10 times. And it doesn't make sense to me. And she's like, Mama, I just like the words. I just like how they're strung together. That is kind of how I feel about this story in First Kings um, chapter 18 and 19. In fact, I almost printed it out on a print um, little handout for you, and I thought, you know what? That would remind you of school, and we are in summer, and so we are not going to do that. And don't worry, I'm not going to read every word, but I just want you to know the words of this story are so rich, like every word word counts in this story and so we're going to hit some of the highlights of it but it's one of my favorite underdog stories and it starts in first kings um we're going to actually start with verse 19 there is a prophet a guy he was the spiritual leader of part of israel at that time his name was elijah And what had happened was Israel, in fact, the story starts in 1 Kings 18, verse 19. He says, now summon all Israel. Those two words, all Israel, are important because all Israel was not all Israel at this time. God had restored and sent his people, set them free from slavery, put them in the promised land and for a couple of kings they did pretty good under a guy named King David a guy named King Solomon and then they started to have problems. They got in a fight and they got divided between the north and the south kind of like a civil war. So when when Elijah says summon all Israel, all Israel's not all Israel. There's a northern kingdom, there's a southern kingdom, there's ten tribes in the north, two in the south. There's two different kings. And the king in the north at this time, his name is King Ahab, and he is the most wicked king that Israel has ever had. And the reason is is because he chose very poorly when he married. He married a woman named Jezebel. And even if you don't know anything about the Bible, when you hear the name Jezebel, what do you think? Bad, evil, yeah. She was like the worst possible. He married a foreigner who brought in all of these foreign gods, and she was an evil woman. And I don't think Ahab really ran the country. I think Jezebel ran the country. And she had all of these prophets to these foreign gods. And the real God, the God we still worship today, he had one guy, Elijah. Elijah. And so Elijah says, all right, we're going to get this fixed once and for all. Summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal, this false god, and the other 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So you have one guy versus 850. What we have is an underdog situation. It's one guy Verses 850. And they meet up on this mountain. And Elijah, God's prophet, says to them, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And it says that the people were silent. I read that phrase, the people were silent. And I think about just a few minutes ago hearing you guys sing. And I know if you're new to church, that singing time, it's a little uncomfortable, especially if you have a voice like mine. Nobody wants to hear you sing ever. Um, but when we sing, together as a corporate group and we proclaim truth about who God is did you did you feel something in your spirit like you feel stronger and emboldened inside and so here is Elijah here are God's chosen people they've seen God he's part of the Red Sea he's done all of these miracles and he says listen if our God is God follow him if Baal is God follow him and he waits kind of for somebody to speak up and nobody says anything reminds me um, kind of of my church back at Easter time. Do you guys remember that season if you were here? Remember we had this outdoor service and a hundred percent rain prediction and we were really kind of faced with this, do we have a plan A and a plan B or do we just trust God? Do we change, you know, everybody thinks we're nuts doing an outside service with a hundred percent chance of rain and and somebody on our staff, I think it was Brooke Salmon, spoke up, and she goes, we aren't a plan B kind of church. She goes, we ought to put sunscreen on our face right now, take a photo, send it to the church, and say, we are trusting God. And that is what we did. And if you were here for that service, you saw that amazing miracle where God just diverted the rain just long enough. Um, for us to help people find their way back to God. So nobody spoke up in this situation. So Elijah said, okay, if I'm the only prophet of the Lord, then here's what we're going to do. You guys build your altar. You 850 build your altar, your sacrifice. You put an animal on it. That's how they did things back then. Blood had to be shed, but they used an animal, not a person. And he said, I'm going to build my altar. You're going to call on your God, Baal. I'm going to call on my God. And whoever answers with fire from heaven, we will know that that is the true God. Well, the people said, they finally spoke up and said, all right, we like that. We like that deal. The reason they like that deal is because Baal was the sun god. If there was a God who could cast Fire from heaven in that time, they thought it would be Baal. And depending on what archaeologists you believe, he, he was either like friends with the lightning god or he was the lightning god too. So if anybody could strike down lightning in that culture, they thought Baal would be the one. So they liked that idea. Well, Elijah said, You guys go first. You have more people, you go first. So they built their altar. And one of, one of some of the funniest verses, I think, most entertaining in all of scripture, come next where they are dancing and hobbling around their altar and yelling and screaming and begging for their God to respond. They do it for three hours. From, from the morning time about 9 o'clock until about noon, they holler and scream, and there is no reply of any kind, the Scripture says. So, about noontime, verse 27 says that Elijah became, became mocking them. He said, Maybe you need to shout louder. Perhaps your God is daydreaming or relieving himself, AKA going to the restroom. <laughs> Maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep or he needs. So, Elijah kind of starts taunting them. And the scripture tells us that they continue this ranting and raving. It gets a little crazy. They even start cutting themselves with knives making themselves bleed so that they'll "Ah," scream louder, trying to get their God who didn't exist, who was just a statue made of wood, to respond to them. Well, finally, it was approaching evening, and still there is no response. And so Elijah says, all right, you guys have had all day with no response. We're going to try my god and elijah builds an altar and the scripture tells us that he takes 12 stones this is a place where those words are important because the 12 stones were kind of a reminder that we are supposed to be one nation there are 12 tribes and right now there's only 10 of you up here but we are still one nation under god there's supposed to be 12 of us and then he says i want you to take four large jars of water and fill them up three times. All my smart math people, what is four times three? Twelve. They pour twelve jars of water over his sacrifice. Why? Because when you want to set something on fire, do you make it wet? No, you don't do that. He is going the extra mile to prove to them that his God is real. So they He builds this altar with the 12 stones. They pour 12 jars of water. By the way, they were in the middle of a drought, so water was like their most prized possession, all right? I mean, Elijah is really putting himself on the line here. And this is the part of the story that pierces my heart and what I want to share with you today. It is found in verse 36. Elijah walks up to the altar, and it says four words. The usual time. My hope and prayer for us as people of my church, people of faith, wherever you go, is that this would become a part of your life, that when you are in crisis, when you find yourself being the underdog, when you find yourself in a place where you're not sure if you can pay your bills next week, you're not sure if you can recover from a heartache, you're not sure you can face a boss, a family member, whatever it is, that you would be able to fall back on something that was so usual for you that you don't face crisis and like panic like the prophets of Baal did. When you face crisis, you know we're going gonna to fall back on what we usually do. Jeff says this all the time uh, to our family. When I look at the checkbook and I'm like, baby, it is not adding up. Like, what are we gonna do? He's gonna he we're gonna do what we usually do. We're gonna be generous. We're gonna trust God. We're gonna keep having faith. We're gonna keep doing what we're supposed to do. When I'm like, baby, we, you know, we've been betrayed. How are we ever gonna face these people again? He, we're gonna do what we usually do. We're gonna trust God. We're gonna keep doing what we're called to do. We're gonna we're gonna finish strong. I'm reading a great book right now. It's called The Three Year Swim Club. It's kind of like the McFarland story of swimming. If you saw the McFarland movie, these kids in um, Hawaii that were like sugarcane. Their parents were sugarcane workers. They had nothing back in like the 20s and 30s. They never even swam in a swimming pool before. And a teacher came along and he said, "You know what? I'm gonna give these kids a chance to do something. They will be the total." underdogs, but I'm going to take these kids to the Olympics. I mean, I'm talking about kids who didn't have enough food to eat. Okay. I have, I own a swimmer. I have one. She has to eat like 10,000 calories a day just to keep up with the 7,000 calories she burns. So I cannot imagine doing this sport without enough food. These kids, they didn't have hardly any food, but they didn't even have a swimming pool. He taught them to swim in the irrigation canals. But the one thing he could do is he could control the current that was released. And so he would release the current, and he taught these kids to swim against the current. And it was the first time they started having two-a-days in swimming, and he worked these kids harder than anybody else. Nobody knew they were doing this. For three years, they did this. So their big time comes for them to go to the big island and race against these Olympic hopefuls. The Olympic trials in swimming begin today, by the way, if you want to watch them this afternoon. Um, These little kids who were half the size of these big, huge Olympic trained athletes go up against them. And at first, they're getting killed. But in the long races, these little scrawny kids that came from nothing ended up winning in the end and earning a spot on the Olympic team because they did what they usually did. They were just used to working hard. (laughs) They were used to being against the current. They didn't have to go into this and hope for, you know, when you're an underdog, sometimes you're like, you're hoping for this, like, God, miracle, once-in-a-lifetime moment. A lot of times, underdogs win because they just do what they usually do. Any of you ever run in a race before? What do they tell you when you run a half marathon or any kind of long race? Don't ever bring new shoes, right? You don't try a new trick. You do what you've usually done. And so Elijah gets up, and it's almost like he has this calmness. You know, this is the usual time that I worship God every day and have for all of my life. And we're going to get up, me against 850 of you, and I'm just going to keep doing what I usually do. Jeff and I, um, we just came back from Colorado. Some of you know that. Every summer we do our best to get out to this ranch where it's kind of like, uh, the best way I know to describe it, J.D. asks us, if Daddy's the pastor of my church, then who is Daddy's pastor? I'm like, well, there are a few people that pour into us and speak into us, and one of them is Mr. Spence, who runs this ranch in Colorado, and so he is our pastor, and he has about 10 days to do what it would take most pastors to do in a year. And my theory is the way he does it, he gets us to bear our soul so quickly is he puts us in life or death situations. Literally, there were about three times last week, I was like, baby, I love you. If I never see you again, it's been nice being your wife. I love you. (laughs) And by the end of the week, I'm like, Spence, I have you figured out. Do you do this to everybody? He goes, well, I do it a little harder on the Murphys because I know, you know, Jeff's wild and y'all can handle it. Um, the first time we went out there, we, there was this faith swing thing. And if you've ever done team building or ropes course, okay, it is not like Georgia team building. It is Colorado team building. There is um, no harness. So we, we get on this swing, and if you go a little bit to the left, you're going to hit a tree and break your ribs. If you go a little to the right, you're going to hit a tree and break your ribs. If you do what you're supposed to do and go straight, then you get to go successfully out over a 700-foot drop. <laughs> and hope that you don't fall on a swing like I'm talking like a child swing but with longer and so the first time I got on it I'm like Spence where is the harness he's like we don't have have a plan b do you need a plan b in your life Christy I'm like at this point yeah I would like what if I panic and I let go you won't let go when there's no plan b you won't let go so crazy stuff like this and the purpose of it is um, they try to get you to bare your heart and soul. They get to the root of all of our issues, and they try to fix us and send us back to you ready to go. This guy, Spence, comes from just crazy life experiences. In the 80s, he was dropped off in Alaska with a gun and a backpack for two years and told to survive, all right? That experience is where he found Jesus. In the 90s, he went into Mongolia. He was one of the first people in after communism to share the gospel. In the 2000s, he moved his family to Siberia to take the gospel into Siberia. So he has lived in the extremes. And so in the off time, he runs this ranch for pastors to kind of help you renew and get your stuff right and your junk right and your heart right. But he still gets called in every now and then um, when something big, some kind of big crisis is happening in the world. So like when ISIS started beheading people, Christians on the border of Iraq, Spence got called in. And you're going to organize the relief and figure out how to do that because he's used to these extreme, you've lived in Siberia for nine years, you're kind of not afraid to go anywhere. Recently he was in Tunisia and he was telling us this story last week. He said, we went to Tunisia to sneak Bibles into this Muslim country. And for the first time on our way out, we got arrested. He was with his wife. They were separated. And his wife, Annette, is telling me, Christy, I am just praying my heart out. I am showing pictures of my children like, look, me, mama, me. I, go, I don't even know their language. I'm just trying to show them. I'm a mother. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. Please let me get back to my children. And I remember asking Spence, who's this calm, cool, collected I'm like, Spence, what did, you, what did you do? Were you afraid for your life? He said, I do what I usually do. Pray to God. Put it in his hands. My life is his. He's going to do what he wants with it. And I thought, wow, I want to be like that. I want to, when I'm faced with a crisis that's not even half that scary, I just want to, like, have this confidence and calmness. I'm just going to do what I usually do i want to have discipline and patterns in my life so that when everything around me is falling apart i just go back and we're just going to do what we usually do so this is what elijah does and he gets up so calmly and says oh lord god of abraham isaac and jacob prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. One prayer. He's not screaming, cutting himself, shouting, hobbling around. Just one calm prayer. Oh, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God. And you have brought them back to yourself. You recognize that mission statement? It says immediately the fire flashed down from heaven. And it consumed not only the animal, it consumed the rocks, it consumed the water, and all of a sudden, all of the people fall on their face and say, your God is the real God, and they worship him. And then, boys, you will love this. Elijah takes all 850 prophets down into the valley, and he kills them all. Boys got to love that. But he still has one person to face. He has defeated 850, proven that his God is real. But there's still that Jezebel character, and she stayed home. And when she finds out what Elijah has done, she says, so help me, I will kill you before this time tomorrow. And you gotta think, here's a man of God, he just went against 850 people and was successful. He is now against one woman. She must have been a scary woman. And he runs. He gets scared to death. Now, there's a number of things that might have happened here. Sometimes after you've had a big victory and you're emotionally depleted, you've just had this great victory, and that is sometimes when you can hit your deepest valley. That happens. So beware when you have big victories. Be ready for that valley on the other side. He gets so afraid of this woman that he takes his servant and it says that he goes to Judah, the southern country, and he leaves his servant there in a city and he goes out into the wilderness alone. I thought that was kind of strange. I was like, why did he leave the servant there and go out alone? I think it was because he planned to never come back. You drop your servant off somewhere safe. The reason you go off alone is, It was funny, I asked Jeff, I said, it's a good thing you took Stephen, huh? He goes, yeah, because if I didn't take Stephen, I might have never shown up at that place. (laughs) You take somebody with you when you plan to do the job. When you don't plan to do the job, you leave them and you go alone. So he goes alone into the wilderness and he falls down under this broom tree. And a broom tree is more like a bush, I mean, there's barely enough shade for him, and it says that he falls down, and he's like, God, I'm the only one left. Nobody loves you but me. I just, I just want to die. He falls asleep, which is what we often do when we're depressed, right, and we can't face the world, and an angel comes and wakes him up and gives him some food. He goes back to sleep again. The angel comes again and says, you're going to need food for this journey, Elijah, you know, I love God is not like, oh, poor baby, Elijah, you, I know you have been the underdog and we're so proud of you. You can just be done. We'll just, you know, you just live out here in the middle of the wilderness. I'll build you a swimming pool right beside you. No, God's like, eat some food. Get up. We have a job to finish. All right. You've been the underdog. I just proved myself to you. But there is more to do, Elijah. Elijah. And so God takes him on this journey, and he comes to Mount Sinai. You ever heard that word before? The very same mountain where Moses met face-to-face with God and gets the Ten Commandments. And while Elijah is there, God asks him a question. He goes, Elijah, what are you doing? I love this about God. He never comes to us and says, you stupid underdog. How ungrateful you are. I have just come through. God always comes, and he just asks us a question. What are you doing? Where are you going? Just gives us a chance to kind of, and Elijah just like, he just like bleeds out all of his wounds and problems. He's like, God, nobody loves me. I'm all alone. I'm the only one, and I just might as well die. And God says, Elijah, get up, stand up before me. And I'm going to pass by. If you've ever read this scripture, it's one of probably the greatest mysteries, I think, of scripture. This is now in chapter 19, verse 11. God says to Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passes by. First, a mighty windstorm hits the mountain, and it was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a Fire, And he had just been in the fire. You'd think he'd be in the fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Why did God do it that way? I think because when we're in crisis, we think we need, we need an earthquake to fix this problem, right? We need a wind from God. We need a fire. I mean, God, I'm the underdog. I need this. I need fire from heaven. And God's thinking, I am so powerful. I am such a feast. All you need is a whisper. I can fix all of your problems in a whisper. That is all it takes from me. Life is not falling apart. It doesn't matter who gets elected in this election. I am still in control, and in a whisper, I can change everything. God tells Elijah, you get up, you go finish your job, you go nominate this guy to be king of this country, this guy to be the new king of Israel, this guy to take your place. In other words, God's like, Elijah, I have the whole plan already planned out I have a senior this year and I'm not going to lie it's freaking me out a little bit I am procrastinating making the phone call to senior pictures because you know you get like I haven't taught her everything I've messed up her life she's not ready I start to get panicky then then I make her panicky and she's like where what am I going to do where am I going to go to college what's going to happen and then we have to daddy calms us down and he says calm down We've been praying for this child since before she was ever born. We have prayed over her every night of her life. We are going to keep doing the usual thing. We're going to keep trusting God. We're going to keep asking Him to guide her, not us. We're almost done. And all He's got it all planned out. And all it takes is a whisper. And He can. Fix it all. Unroll our plan. When we're in freakout mode, he's not mad at you. He understands. My encouragement to us today is let's keep doing the usual thing. (laughs) Let's keep taking one step at a time. For some of you, that's get up, get dressed. I have a good girlfriend. She goes, I was so depressed at one season of my life. My friend would call me on the phone and she would say, Barbara, sit up. How'd you know I was laying in bed? Barbara, sit up. Barbara, put your feet on the ground. Barbara, walk to your window. Open the window. The sun is still shining. God still loves you today. We're going to do the usual thing. We're going to brush your teeth today, Barbara. We're going to eat breakfast. We're just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. We're going to finish strong. See, I think underdogs are not these miraculous stories that should never have happened. I think most underdogs, they've just been taking little steps of doing the usual thing. And when it comes to their big opportunity, they're not panicked. They're not wearing brand new tennis shoes for the marathon. They just just keep doing what they've always done. And God blesses them for it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you. God, in a season of summer that's kind of a season of break and carefreeness, for some of us, we slow down long enough and we start paying attention to, you know, stuff around us that needs our attention and needs fixing, and we get a little panicked. God, remind us that you are in control. You can order our steps with a whisper. God, help us to begin to know how to just follow you one step at a time and to keep doing the usual thing at the usual time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Christy, for giving us this little image of, of a God who is so ginormous and so big, and, and but he speaks to us in a whisper, and he gives us a peace like nothing else can. I want you all, we come to a time in our service where... Uh, we're going to talk about an offering and and Paul tells us in the book of Romans that he wrote that book to those in Rome to encourage them in to be obedient in faith and it's a it is a faith thing and one of our values here at my church is sacrifice and and we we kind of term that as as we give up things we love for things that we love more and I love the way that sounds and we sacrifice because of, of who God is. And so we, we have at my church different ways to give. We're not going to pass a bucket. We're not doing that right now. We have um, boxes back here and right here and then out, out there. And you'll see behind me that, that, that you can text to give, uh, you can give online, or you can give in the, in the little kiosk in the front. And so I'd like to pray for a second. I'd like to pray over, over our offering. And I'd like to encourage you all, to just understand that it is that it is a faith thing it is a thing where we can give a little bit back to 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 the lord because he's given all of that to us anyway and so father we we love you this morning we thank you for the words that you spoke through your servant christy that it was uh just to let us know just how big and how awesome you are and father as we as we do take an offering that uh, we know that you will bless that, that you will multiply it, and Lord, that you will use it in, in only a way that you can use it. And so we thank you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen.